morning, Christ Central. I'm Andrew, and I'm the college and the missions director here. It's really my honor and my privilege to bring to us God's word literally the last Sunday of 2018. Truly can't believe it goes by just like that, end of the year. So let's dive, in. how fitting, let's dive into the word of God as we worship together this last Sunday. Uh, our word today will come from Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn there with me? Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 to 16. This is God's word for us this morning. Hebrews 11, 13 to 16. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Would you pray with me? Before we dive in, would you join me as we pray now? Uh, Father, we thank you so much that we get, to, we get to gather here as your people to hear from you. We are thankful that we get to worship each and every Sunday, knowing that we get a glimpse, a taste of home to come. And Father, as we hear and gathered today to, to listen to what you have to say to us. I pray that you would encourage those of us who have weary hearts, those of us who are, are hurting, especially heading into the new year. And Lord, would you help us to fix our eyes on the hope that is in Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You know, the holidays can be uh, the best of seasons for us. It can be so great, warm, festive, fun, right? We, we love exchanging gifts and, and it's family, friends all together. It's just this great time, cozy, comfortable. It truly feels like home. And for others of us, it can be some of the hardest of seasons. Maybe you, you lost your job or, or maybe you're losing your health or maybe you lost someone dear and, and it feels like such an injustice that so many people feel so at home when you feel so far from it, right? Home, home is this concept that, that strikes such a deep chord in so many of us, right? If we look deep down our, our longings, so many of us want to just feel at home. And today I, I want to address this concept, address this longing. I know some of us are hurting because of the, the, the lack of home that we experience. And so I want to offer some hope for those of us who are hurting today and when we do hurt, that I hope our hurt can become hope and that our hope can become home. And so we can be homesick but hopeful. And so to do this, I have three points for us today. Three points. The first is our longing for home. The second will be the way home. And third, strangers awaiting home. So again, first, our longing for home, right? Humanity as homesick. Second, uh, the way home, how do we get there? How do we get home? And lastly, our current situation, strangers awaiting home. So we're going to dive right in. Our first point, longing for a home, how humanity is homesick. I think at this point, it's only appropriate to first define, offer some definition. To define home, 
I think home can mean so many different things. I, I took some quotes online that I found. I thought these were a little bit interesting. Of course, this doesn't capture all of the different definitions, but here's just a little snapshot of what I found. Home is not a place. It's a feeling. Here's another one. Home is where you feel loved, appreciated, and safe. I like this one. House plus love equals home. And, of course, you got to put in home is where the heart is. Right? Home is where the heart is. Right? Home, clearly, so many different people have, have different ways to define home. And, and in many ways, home captures the deepest longings of our heart. The longings for, for safety and security, to, to be known and loved, to be accepted, to belong, to, to, to have intimacy and community. All of these things, they, they represent our deepest longings, the deepest longings of our heart that we often uh, put in what we define as home. But I think today I just want to put these two fundamental contributing factors in, into our uh, into our. Uh, how we define home, these two ones are, are important for us to consider when we define home, and they're this, right? Just simple two Ps, a place and a people. Place and people are so important in terms of how we define home. And so first, place. Uh, place, we're embodied creatures, right? We're, we're physical, material, the uh, matter matters, right? We're confined to our physical bodies, and so we can't be everywhere at once. Although technology, sure, social media helps us to stay connected, but there's something special about someone's physical presence. All of you guys who your love language is physical touch, you know it's important, right, to be there physically with someone. There's something special about place, of location, of a geographical specific place. All of us, we, we long to be rooted somewhere. We long for a, a hometown where there's this sense of belonging, right? When people, right, you think when people come into your area, your friends, and they say, hey, where is there to eat? They expect you to know. This is your hood. This is your home. You should know, right? This is your home. A lot of us, we have, uh, we're, we're fans. We're sports fans. We cheer for our hometown team, right? L.A., Sad to say, our hometown teams haven't been doing so hot, right? The Dodgers are, are choking it up season after season. The Lakers haven't been doing well, but maybe that'll change this year as we got a new recruit. But nonetheless, when our teams aren't doing well, we still cheer for them. Why? Because they represent our home. They're, they represent our place. And so we continue to cheer for them. And so you know when people don't cheer for your hometown team, a lot of times you can assume, it's safe to assume, they're probably not around, from around here, right? They don't consider L.A. their home. And there's also, on the flip side, such a grief when we're uprooted, right? You guys know, those of you who have had to move, you know how difficult that is to leave a place that you consider home. Place matters. But not just place, right? You can be in one place and still be incredibly lonely. You can still feel so isolated and so alone, so far from the sense of home. And so a people matters too. People matters, right? Social connections, community. How awesome is it during the season when you're all together with friends, close friends, family? It's, there's nothing better than spending time with loved ones. And, and we know just how great that sense of being fully known and belonging, how, how great that is. And on the flip side, we know how, how hard and how devastating it is when relationships go sour. Or maybe some of you, you, 
gathered for Christmas and you have family drama, right? And you, you can feel the weight of the, the tension in the room and it just doesn't feel very much like home. And so relationships, people matter. And of course, we know just how important people are to our sense of home, especially in the face of death, right? When we deal with death, maybe some of you sitting here today, maybe this was a hard year because you lost someone so precious and so dear to you. And when you gathered this season, this, this holiday season, it felt so strange and so foreign because that person who's usually there isn't there anymore. And it feels a little bit weird. It feels strange, like it's not quite home. And so people matter, right? Place and people have such a big impact on our deepest longings. Some of you maybe are sitting here and, and you don't feel at home precisely for those reasons. You don't feel that sense of, of place or people or the lack of people. Maybe a combination of both. And, you, and so you feel alienated like a stranger that, that just doesn't seem to fit here, can't find home here. And you resonate with verse 13 in our text that says we are strangers and exiles on the earth. And boy, you feel like I'm such a stranger and exile here. This doesn't feel right. It just doesn't feel fitting. Now, for those of us who do feel at home, maybe, maybe you had a great holiday season. Maybe it was just the best holiday season you've ever had. right? And, and, and we're thankful. Thank God for that. But I also want to be realistic. right? I'm, I'm a realist. I don't want us to kid and fool ourselves that it'll be like this every year, right? Our current sense of home, it, it's fleeting. It can change. Things change. Things don't last. And I want to give us some perspective on that, right? Place. Places change. I remember planning my uh, proposal, and I'm uh, one of the younger ones in my friend group. And so as I'm, I'm planning to, to propose to my wife, I have not the slightest clue what I'm doing. I don't know how to go about it. So I'm asking these older people, like, hey, how did you do it? What are things that I should keep in mind as I plan? I have just no clue. And so like all people, when you have not the slightest clue of where to start, you go to Google. Right? You go to Google. So I Googled it. I was like, how to plan a good proposal, right? a meaningful proposal. I read a bunch of articles, and, and it was interesting. Something uh, really caught my eye, and it was this. There's one article that said, uh, keep in mind where you do it because that place might not be there 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the line. And I don't know why that was so profound for me. It like, was like a, a mind-blowing, an epiphany, and I was like, that makes so much sense, right? Because if you want to revisit that place, if you want to you know, share some nostalgia and, and go relive those memories, if it's not there, you can't do that. And so this article was saying, pick a place that will probably outlast you so that you can go and celebrate. Right? Place, places change. They might not be the same. What you remember it to be, it might be different when you revisit it later on. Right? Places change. People. People change as well. Right? People. Maybe you have friends you grew up with and when you see them now, you're like, man, they're such a different person. Maybe, maybe that's you, right? Maybe you're so different. You're like nothing like what you, who you used to be. Uh, and, and even if people don't change quite that much, we know that death surely changes that situation, right? The permanence and the stability, that, the feeling of that in that relationship, death robs us of that. You know, I just turned uh, 28 years young, and uh, according to the 2018 average life expectancy for, for men, our average life expectancy uh, expectancy is 76 years old. 
76. So presumably 37% of my life is already over. Uh, females have a, a little bit longer. Got until 81, average life expectancy. Right, so I don't want us to kid ourselves. I want us to be realistic, right? In verse 13, it, it, said, it starts with an interesting, in, these all died in faith, right? Everyone from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, pretty much everybody died, right? Death is something that is, is a reality that, that we have to deal with. And I think there's wisdom that comes from that, right? Wisdom in living well in, in this, on this earth, in this life. There's something important to be said about keeping death in mind. It's a reality. It's, it's important because it gives us a realistic perspective. And it'd be foolish. It'd be, it'd be folly. It'd be crazy to, not, to try to neglect it, right? We think of the ostrich that like buries its head in the ground, pretending when the predator comes, if I can't see it, it's not coming, I'll be okay, Right? We think how ridiculous, but if we're honest, a lot of us here, we, we treat death that way. We pretend, okay, if I don't acknowledge it, if we just don't talk about it, you know, nobody wants to talk about it, and so we can pretend like it doesn't exist, that it's not coming for us. It's not the predator that's coming to take everything away from us. Right? It's important to acknowledge death. And I think it's hard to do that in our, in our society, in, in America, when it's so youth-obsessed, right? Our culture is, is so focused on being forever young. And so I found this article called Forever Young, America's Obsession on Never Growing Old. And it says this, ads and social media portray youth as sexy, attractive, cool, and oh so connected. Look at any magazine, movie, video game, or TV show, and it's easy to see. In 2011 alone, it's a little bit dated, but you can bet all the more now. In 2011 alone, Americans spent $10.4 billion on cosmetic surgery. Annually, over $1.2 billion is spent on liposuction, $800 million on hair transplants, and $11 billion on vitamins and supplements. And there is no greater compliment we can pay one another than to say, wow, you look so much younger. Right? This is our culture. It's so focused on, on being young, on, on living forever, right? forever young. And we want to deny that our bodies are, are rotting and wasting away, that we're dying, that we're breaking down, that we experience wear and tear. Right? We don't want to accept that because we're so set on trying to preserve home here. We want this home to last. We want to make this life home. Right, if you think about uh, uh, going to the, the beach, right, we look at, at the ocean and it's beautiful, but, but you know that you can't make your home there, right? You can't go live there inside of the ocean and breathe because you'll die, right? I don't think anybody is Aquaman, and so we can't make the ocean home. It's not fitting for us, right? It's not fitting for us. But if you think about life on earth, it's kind of interesting too, right? Because... The end is the same. We all die. We, we drag it out a little bit longer. Sure, we get 76, 81 years. But nonetheless, we all are slowly dying. And so something seems off about that, where it's not fitting. Our deepest longings for lasting love, for a lasting home, a lasting place, lasting roots. It seems like death is such an intruder that robs us of that. And it seems so unfitting. How could our deepest longings not be met in a place that should be home? And I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. I think it should be uh, on the overhead above, but this quote by C.S. Lewis uh, really captures this thought. 
If we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. You see, a world that ends in death, it ruins our, our deepest longings. And, we, and so we were meant, we were meant to make this world our home. This world doesn't feel like home because home is not here. And so I don't want us to be so short-sighted today. Some of you, I don't want you to be so short-sighted to put your hopes of home in things that are just going to pass away, right? Things like money, success, relationships, approval, fame, fortune, all of these things, these don't last. They decay, they rot, they disappear. They won't outlast death. They won't outlast it. And so in this world, we'll continue to be homesick. We'll continue to be homesick. And this, of course, begs the question then, well, if this isn't meant to be home, then where is home? What is home supposed to be? And how do we get there? What's the way back home? And to this, I want to turn to our tech, uh, second point, the way home. The way home. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16, I'm going to read it again for us. Refresh our memory. And it says this, but as it is, they desire a better country. Right? They, all of the Old Testament uh, key figures before, uh, before us, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of those people, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. He has prepared for them a city. Right? This heavenly country that these people are all looking for, that's what home is supposed to be. And we experience taste of home now, of course, we do, but it's not lasting. The, the lasting home we're actually seeking is, is this heavenly country. Home is not some place where we've ever been but actually someplace that we're headed. And I love this concept of home. I, I, I love it so much because in many ways you can uh, condense the main overarching narrative of the Bible really to this concept of home. How do we get home? To do this, I want to go all the way back. Let's go to Genesis, all right? Genesis, creation, right? When God created the world, Genesis 1 and 2, he created the world in six days, right? Six days, and he, he made the light, the darkness, sky, the seas. He made dry land, and then he filled them, right? He put vegetation. He put uh, animals and, and sea creatures and birds, and, of course, he put us, right? He created us. He put us in the picture, uh, and not just one person, right, but he brought in Eve. He created people, so he created a place, and he created a people, place and people. All right, these are two key things for us in our, in our understanding of home, and basically in Genesis 1, God is fashioning a home for us. But in our definition, it's actually lacking, right? Our definition of, of what's key for home, place, and a people, it's actually lacking. There's one more P I think that's more important than the other two that sometimes we don't think about when we, we input it into our definition of home, and it's this P. It's the presence of God. You see, home cannot be home without the presence of God, without the God who is love, who dwells in our midst. Without him, it's not home. 
And we were created that way, right? In the very beginning, God doesn't just create this this world and then he's this impersonal God. But the beauty of the Christian faith is our God is a personal God who enters into the world and says, I will make my home with you. And that's special. That's different. Right? Home is only home because God is in it. Right? It's, and this is how the world began. This is how creation started. This is what we were meant for. This is where our longing for home comes from. But we all know in, in, a, in a, chapter, a chapter later, literally a chapter later, Genesis 3, things change forevermore. And we experience a broken home. The fall happens where humanity falls, where, where our self-centeredness led us to thinking, you know what? I think I'm okay. We're okay having home without you, God. I think we're okay being, our, being the own rulers of our own home. We'll be the homemakers. We really don't need you. And, of course, this sin, when sin came into the world, sin by nature, it alienates, right? You, you guys know this. Sin, when you lie, when you wrong someone, it, it, it alienates you. It, it ruins the relationship. It fractures it. It, it breaks it. Right? The, the, the people in your lives, when, when we sin against them, it ruins that relationship. It alienates us. And that's what happened in our relationship with God. And the consequences of that alienation also manifest itself with place. Because sin alienates, we're driven out. We're kicked out of home. We're banished. We're exiles to be strangers, sojourners, wanderers now. Because we've lost home. And so ever since Genesis 3, we've lost our sense of lasting home, but we haven't lost our longing for it. We've lost our sense of a lasting home, but we haven't lost our sense, our longing for it. And I love that God never gives up on us, right? He doesn't go to, all right, you guys messed it up, now we're going to plan B. No, plan A was always to, to make home with us. And so it, the story continues. But to get us back home, sin has to be dealt with. And our sin, the sin by very nature that alienates, has to be dealt with. In Hebrews chapter 11, uh, I love that it's in this broader context of what some people call the hall of faith. It has a bunch of these Old Testament characters that are so important. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and, it, and it so forth. Moses, David, Samuel, a bunch of these people. And it, it talks about how they died. And, and they were people of faith. And, and when they did uh, some... some in, Extraordinary things in response to faith in their lives, yet still they didn't experience the promises. They all died. They all died. And I love that in chapter 12, it links our story and our homesickness to their homesickness. I'm going to read it for us. Chapter 12, verse 1 of Hebrews. Therefore, since we, we, you and I, us sitting here today, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. All these people, all these saints who've gone before us, since we're surrounded by them, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Right? I love that it climaxes, that everybody, what everyone's waiting for is Jesus. Is Jesus. You see, the, the Old Testament says they knew home was not something for us to grasp. 
It wasn't something for us to earn with our good works, but they knew that home was a city that God is preparing for them. It's something God would do, that God himself would have to leave home, his home in heaven, and enter the earth, enter this world as the God-man Jesus. That he would suffer, he would hurt like us, he would experience alienation, brokenness. He'd be betrayed by one of his closest friends. He was lonely, he was a wanderer, right? Jesus himself says, there's nowhere for me to lay down my head. If there's anyone who knows what it's like to be homesick, it's Jesus, right? It's Jesus. He was homesick. He was even rejected in his hometown. And upon the cross, he would experience utter homelessness, Loss of the sense of people, loss of the sense of place, loss of the sense of the presence of God. He would be abandoned, he'd be forsaken, all alone. And it's crazy that this, this is our creator, this is the God we worship. The creator God, the homemaker, would become homeless because he didn't want home without you. He wouldn't want to have home without you. And so he came And he would die on a cross to make a way back home. More than make a way, he would be the way, right? John 14, 6, he would be the way back home. And in tasting tasting death, Jesus would conquer death. And he would rise again. And this this is the Christian hope. The fact that he rose again, that gives us every reason to hope that, man, home is right, is on the other side. It's there. In John 14, 2, Jesus basically says, I go to my Father's house to prepare a place for you. All of you who who trust in me, who follow me, I'm I'm going to prepare a place. And home is coming. And I'm preparing it for you. A place that we receive through faith. A perfect home, an eternal home where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. A place where there's no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. It's a city where our deepest longings will finally be met. And it's one that he's preparing for us. For us. Now, unless we get too ahead of ourselves, what about in the meantime, though, right? I think that's important. Let's bring, it, bring us back down. But in the meantime, what do we do on this side of eternity? And this brings us to our third point. At this side of eternity, we're strangers awaiting home. We're strangers. In Hebrews 11, verse 13, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Right, I think of an uh, analogy of a boat where right, when you're sailing into shore, you, you see the shore from afar. And, and, I, and I think these Old Testament saints, I'm sure they saw it, right? They saw the home that was coming, the shore, and yet they weren't there yet. But, but they saw it. Now this side of the scriptures, right, when they're looking forward to Jesus and we look back to Jesus, I think we're a lot closer. We're probably a lot closer to the shore where it's not like barely, we're not barely able to make it out, but it's a little bit closer. And yet we're still not on the beach, right? We're still not on the beach. And so right now we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're living in this world, but this world isn't our home. And so I just have... Three practical ways, practical application for us now, for us as strangers in between the times, waiting in between Jesus' first and his second coming, how do we make the most of this time as strangers? First, 
Strangers awaiting home, as strangers awaiting home, we experience home partially now because God dwells in us. Right? We get a glimpse, a foretaste of home because of the Holy Spirit that makes his home in us. And so even today, as we gather this morning, this day, we get that glimpse of home. We get that taste. As you spend time in prayer, as you spend time reading his word, you, you get a taste of that communion with God, the relationship with God, a taste of home. Let's make the most of that privilege that we get to visit home in these ways. Second point, as strangers awaiting home, let's not invest in this world, but the next. Right? This world doesn't last. It's passing away. The things are rotting. Right? We're rotting. They're not going to last. But the things that are done in faith, if they're sown in faith, they will last. They carry over. Those are the things that are important. And, and I especially want to speak to, to parents here um, and future parents as somebody who's, you know, been serving our youth for a while. I, I think this is so important that um, as parents, really, we have to model for our kids and we have to model for those who are younger where, what it means to be strangers here. Where are we investing our, our, our sense of home? Is it in this world or is it in the world to come? Right? When I was little, I, I remember growing up, it was very clear to me what our family stood for. Uh, growing up, my parents were not, not Christians at the time. And so it was clear our message was, our primary goal and mission in life was this. It was survival and success. Right? The American dream. Survival, success, do whatever it takes to survive and do whatever it takes to succeed. Right? Get good grades, get a good job, make a lot of money, start a family, and just enjoy great things in life. That was sort of our mission statement at home. What is your dream today? Is it the American dream or is it the Christian dream? Right? Is your mission about my success, about making home here? Or is your mission about sharing God's success and about the home to come? I think if it was a ladder, we'd grasp onto things a lot looser in this life. We'd really prioritize things like integrity and character and love. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about our Chinese brothers and sisters um, who are, are persecuted. Right? We, we've been talking a little bit about them, and uh, especially those from early Rain Covenant Church. And, and, I, and I think about them who've lost houses and, and homes, and, and they've been separated from people, from their family, from those they love. They're imprisoned, they're detained. And from an American dream perspective, from a worldly perspective, that doesn't make any sense. Why would people do that? that that's so crazy to give up all of those things, right? Why would you do that? It doesn't make any sense. But for those of us with the Christian dream, it makes complete sense. It makes total sense. Because I think they see that shoreline a lot more clearly than some of us. That they see it and they long for it. The home that is coming a better country, the heavenly city. What is it that we're investing in right now? What does your life reflect? Because the things in this world will fade, but the things we do in faith according to God's word will last. Lastly, practical application number three for us, as strangers awaiting home, we grieve differently because of our hope. Because of our hope, we grieve differently. I love this passage in 1 Thessalonians. It's chapter 4, 
verse 13 and 14. I'm going to read this for us. And it says this. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And I love that in this context of Thessalonians, Paul's writing this letter to to a church that's afflicted and persecuted, maybe much like the one in China right now. And, And he writes this, and he doesn't even use the word death. He uses the word asleep in this context. And he does that to make it crystal clear that as Christians, right, death, Death, he's, he's attributing to hell, to eternal death, the second death. He's saying, as Christian, I don't even want to talk about death. I'm just going to use fall asleep. Because one day, we will be home. Because Jesus tasted death for us. And he conquered death for us. And so we can grieve in a different way. But I, I, I love that he still says we, we do grieve, right? We do mourn loss. We do hurt. Christians aren't these stoic people who just have no feelings and say, okay, whatever, it's fine. We're just detached from everything. No, he says we do grieve, but there is a a hope that is different. We were not utterly crushed. We don't utterly despair because we know that there's morning after the night. We know that the sun will rise again, and we have an unshakable hope. And so we're homesick, but hopeful. We could be sorrowful, but also joyful. You see, unless you make God and his promises your home, you'll always feel like a a stranger here, alienated, like you somehow, you don't belong, always traveling, never arriving, always looking, never finding, always homesick, but never home. Today, I just want to end with this poem, uh, the last stanza of a poem by G.K. Chesterton, It's entitled The House of Christmas, and this is what he writes. To an open house in the evening, home shall men come. To an older place than Eden and a taller town than Rome. To the end of the way of the wandering star, to the things that cannot be and that are. To the place where God was homeless and all men are at home. To the place where God was homeless and all men are at home to the place where God was on that cross, where he made a way for us back home. That is the safest and most secure place for us to be. And where Jesus is now, as he rose again, where he is now at the right hand of the Father, one day there we will be also. One day where all of our deepest longings will be met, where we can finally say with confidence, this is home, sweet home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you never gave up on home with us. Lord, that you would make a way for us so that we could have home with you. And so for those of us who may be hurting, or or maybe when we do go through really hard times, we, we hurt, but we hope And we hope because we know we have a home. And we know that home is not here. But it's somewhere that we've never been. Somewhere we're headed. Would you help us? Grant us the strength to persevere faithfully now. That we would endure. That as we look into the new year. That we wouldn't be so short-sighted. But that we would look more towards that new age. To the new home. And that we would live according to that. 
Lord, help us do that. Keep us on track. Keep us on the narrow path. Lord, we long to go back home. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.